to Totalus Rankium. This week, John 8. Well, welcome to Roman Emperor's Hotelus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, and this is episode 170, the penultimate episode of Roman Emperor's Totalis Rankium, and it's John 8. Penultimate? I didn't know it was penultimate, although you did say last time. Yeah, yeah. Each time that number gets smaller oh. and smaller. We've only got one mm. more left, Jamie. Oh. But, well, we've got two left because we've not done John 8 yet. So, True. so we've got two. Got to. That's loads. Loads of yeah. episodes. Yeah. Just, really just count them. Action filled. Oh, well, um, it's they're not going to be as short as the end of the, the West was, that's for certain. Okay. Yes. More going on. Um, but hey, let's let's just go into it, shall we? And we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, John 8, first of the two sons of Manuel that we're going to cover. That's right, we're in the last generation now. We just have two brothers left to cover. And uh, straight away, we're going to do something slightly different, Jamie, because I figure it's time to break precedent. (gasps) Well, we might as well, being (laughs) so close to the end. Might as well. We are not going to start with his biography. We're going to take a moment to look at Imagofacius. Imagofacius. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, What I would like you to do, it's the easiest way to do it, is just Google John 8 and open up his Wikipedia page and just have a look at what he looks like. Whoa. He's glorious. Yes. (laughs) Look at that beard. Look at the hair. Look at the feathers. Feathery hat thing. It's a crown. It's a big crown. Oh, it's just, wow. Just wow. Look at that. The very very weird sort of the way the background just looks dreamlike but well it's uh it's, it's like supposed to be a river but then it goes weird and there's a tree underneath the it's the, part of a much larger going. painting which has lots of people okay. in it um yeah yeah for wow. uh, reasons that we'll get into later not long after john's death a renaissance painter called gazzoli he was in florence and he was painting various leaders in a series of murals and he happened to paint John 8. It's not quite mm. contemporary, but it's much closer than most of the images that we've used in the series yeah. so far. So this was painted not long after his death. So uh, people were alive who had met him when this was painted. So that probably is what he looked yeah. like. And, mm. oh, it's very different, isn't it, to what we've had recently. Oh, yeah. And that is so a 10-pointer from me. Oh, yeah. I mean, straight away, he's getting 10 (laughs) out of 10 for Imago Faces, definitely. Uh, He he is painted in a realistic style, Mm -hmm. a Renaissance style, you could almost say. He's got his curly hair. He's got an amazing beard. Doesn't look pointed, which is interesting. No. Uh, Because the fashion definitely is towards pointed beards. But Mm. without giving too much away, his brother's uh, image doesn't have points on his beard either, so it looks like beard fashion might be changing. Right, well, why why did I bring this up at the start, Jamie? Why? Because it's glorious. Yes, because I don't want you to go through this episode and not be picturing the image <laughs> that I'm picturing, because that's that's what I'm picturing throughout the whole thing, and I want you to, to do that as well. So, oh, yeah. And if you're Thank listening you. and you don't have access to the internet right now, just just picture a glorious picture of someone. That, that will yeah. do for now. 
It looks like it's been gilded. <laughs> yes. It's just these big flying feathers on the edge. It looks like his hat wants to take off. Yeah, it looks like an eagle. Yeah, it's amazing. Right, okay. So, that's uh, that's Imagofacious. Round already done. So, now cool. we're, we're going to go back into the actual biography then. Okay, we start on the 18th of December in 1392. And John is born to Manuel Dos and his wife, Helena. A Serbian princess, if you remember correctly. Mm. Now, Manuel and the princess had been married earlier that year. And uh, Manuel had been emperor for about a year and was still very much in the time period where he was having to do everything that Bayezid ordered him to do. This is right at the start of his reign. So this is how John would have grown up. He would have been educated as the eldest son, prepped to be the next emperor. Uh, But he also would have grown up realising that the Ottomans were a huge threat to their very way of life. Because his earliest memories would have been of the Ottomans sieging the city. That's how he would have grown up. It would have just been a fact of life that there are people outside the city trying to break the walls down. Um, Daddy, can I have some food, please? No! We're under siege. Yes, uh, people were starving in the streets. Uh, It was a very unhappy city to grow up in. Uh, Yeah, so yes, air, but it's not a happy time to be air. Maybe he would remember being four years old and the news coming through that the king of the Hungarians had failed his crusade. Loser. Do you remember me talking about the crusade that failed last episode? Yeah, didn't they send an inordinate amount of people? Yeah, yeah. Led by... A billion or something. Yeah, and led by the king of Hungary. Uh, Well, Mm. interesting aside here, something that I will just put my hands up and uh, admit, I, I completely missed something. Because... I mentioned the King of Hungary. I purposely left his name out just because I didn't think it was hugely important and uh, episodes can get name heavy. However, I completely failed to realise that um, this guy is actually quite important because it's Sigismund and King Sigismund of Hungary becomes the Holy Roman Emperor at some point. So if we were to do a season on the Holy Roman Empire, uh, we'll be doing an episode on him. Okay, interesting. And he was introduced in this series uh, as just a kind of off to the side, not really, just like, oh, it's just King and Hungary. So yeah, I feel feel bad for Sigismund, I do. I I feel like I didn't give him a proper introduction. So here we go. Uh, That's who it is. He's still alive. Yes, that crusade failed, but he is still the King of Hungary and he is becoming more and more powerful and eventually he will become the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, But this is beside the point, because little five-year-old John probably cared very little for this. He's got his Lego. He's good. Yeah, he probably wasn't there really annoyed that a podcast in the future failed to introduce another (laughs) king properly. Damn you all to hell, he's saying. To his little Rob Lego figure that he's got. (gasps) Oh, mine's missing a head. That's okay, it happens. It happens. It happens. It's up his nostril. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's why he wheezes slightly when he... uh, he breathes for his <laughs> nose. It's like whistle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, when he's eight years old, John and his family were taken out of Constantinople. His cousin, John Seven, was being put in charge while his father went to the West and begged to aid. Remember, Manuel goes off to France and then to England, and he didn't leave yeah. his family in the capital because he didn't trust John Seven. Yes, I remember that. Yes. So, instead... John, his brothers, and his mother were going to go and stay with his uncle in Moria. Do you remember where Moria is? It's above, below, no, it's it's below Constantinople on a triangle. <laughs> yeah. But it's above 
that other place that's below Constantinople? <laughs> uh, no, no. You're, Do you want to get the map? It's uh, it's just the the very bottom tip of Greece. It's where I did Sparta say it's is. Below Constantinople. Yeah, but you said it was above something, and there's nothing below. Well, it's L- above Africa. Yeah, but that's not on the very geographical triangle knowledge thing. You... <laughs> uh, did we draw it on? Did I even draw it on here? Yeah, yeah, you've even circled it. I can see it. You've circled the bottom yeah. tip. Oh, it's not named. It's just circled. It says Empire in in thing. Yes, okay. because it is still. That's all they've got left. It's Moria or the Peloponnese, oh. <laughs> as you could also say. Did they all have Scottish accents there? Like the yes, old king of yes, Sparta. Yes, exactly. Did. Yes, that's you're thinking of the right place now. Yeah. Cool. So they were to stay there. They'll be safe there. And while they are safe and everything's nice and relaxed at the moment in the episode, you might want to make a note of John's brothers because they become important in the next episode. So get yourself a pen, play along at home if you want. Now, something I didn't perhaps make hugely clear last episode, but it won't surprise you, uh, Manuel had, had a lot of children. I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, I'm not not surprised either. And he just walk into somewhere they get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. So alive right now in our point in the narrative. So John's eight years old. He's gone to go and stay with his uncle. And he is the eldest brother. So write down John. He has a younger brother called Constantine. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Oh. And then another younger brother called Theodore. Now, they're the only two brothers alive now, but I'm going to introduce all the others now since we're talking about it. Okay. So coming up, when Manuel gets back from his tour, more babies, and uh, we have younger brother Andronicus, we have yes. Michael, we have yes. Constantine. Oh, that's so annoying. Why have two? <laughs> You'll find out in a moment. Oh. <laughs> uh, Demetrius. Dem- Demetrius is a good name. We've, we've not had it many is. of those. Uh, and Thomas. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> so eight ch- brothers. Eight brothers. That's going to be fine, that's isn't a, it? That's a busy Christmas. Yeah. 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 That's, that's no, all good, isn't problems. it? Yeah. No, that would be fine. I'm sure they all oh. get on. Uh, yeah, okay. Yes. Anyway, so just so you know, brothers, there's eight of them. Just keep them in your back pocket for now, because we're going to go back to John and his story. We don't know what his time was like in Moria. Dark, I imagine. Full of goblins. Balrog! <laughs> he would have spent about three years here, taking him to about 11 years old. So he's starting to understand the world. Uh, He would have heard that Bayezid had been killed, and the siege was over. Hooray! And his father's coming home. Hooray! Daddy! So everyone's going back to the capital. Even more hooray! Fantastic. Uh, Unfortunately, though, around this time, his brother Constantine dies. (gasps) Which Constantine? On the sea or the one with the sea? Uh... (laughs) The Constantine that has already been born dies. So the first one. Yeah. Dead. Got it. He's dead. So cross him off your list. Um, And also slightly after this, his brother Michael dies. Cross him off the list. Yeah. Michael's gone. He was a solid bloke, he was. Yeah. He's he's gone. Michael was born and died very early. Uh, Yeah. Plague. There's plague wafting through Uh. the city again. It takes two of them off. But plenty more brothers and sisters come along, as I've mentioned. uh, And... Once his mother and father were reunited, shall we say, uh, this yeah. is when a new child is born called yeah. Constantine, named after the uh, dead older brother. Yeah. Oh. Constantine 11, Jamie, and for the last time ever in this series, put a box around that name. Oh, I, this is a moment. 
It is a moment, da, isn't it? Da, 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 Done? Done it. Box, cool. box is completed. Right. That was the saddest box ever drawn. <laughs> so we now have all the emperors alive. All two of oh. them. Um, right, so... <laughs> For the next ten years and more, his father was dealing with the sons of Bayezid and all the infighting going on in the Ottoman Empire. The Roman Empire was limping along, but in theory on the rise again, which is great. We don't know... (laughs) (laughs) New Golden Age, Jamie. It's going to be fine. Uh, We don't know when it started, but John was very much brought up to be his father's successor. So... By this time, him being a teenager, he was being taught to rule. He joined his father in meetings. He he was the heir. There was definitely no doubt about it. He would have been witness... Where's this whistling come from in the corner? <laughs> Just John with the Lego thing still up his nose. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. Tries to get it out, but he just ends up pushing your Lego head further up there. And oh, yeah, it's before they'd invented tweezers. So what are you gonna do? Ah, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. By John Tweezer. Yes. Ironically, it was only invented about eight years after John eight passed away, which is yeah, the Renaissance irony. period. Huge strides yeah. in in art and science and tweezer production. It's an amazing mm. time. Anyway, whilst he was rummaging around his nostril, uh, he would have been witness to his father's decisions as Musa deposed Suleiman. If you remember all the infighting between the Ottoman princes that we covered at yes. the end of last episode, well Musa defeats Suleiman and then sieges the city and uh, then his father encourages Mehmet to drive his brother's siege off. So he, he's witnessing firsthand his father doing the old divide and conquer with the Ottoman princes. He would have seen the advantages uh, that this was bringing when yeah. Mehmed won and accepted being a vassal of the Romans. And this is great news. Yeah. It was shortly after this that we get our first concrete thing that he does. Because in 1414, age 22, John is left in charge of the capital while his father went on a tour of the empire. So He must feel so proud. He's actually in charge yeah. of something. Yeah, his father, Manuel, was looking at Thessalonica and the lands around it, because remember, they've just got Thessalonica back. Hooray. Uh, but also he went down to Moria, which was increasingly becoming the safe haven of the empire. Constantinople's increasingly just becoming a run-down city, whereas Moria actually has some land in it. Now, we don't know anything of John's ruling of Constantinople while his father was away, but presumably he did okay. The city didn't burn down or anything, so... Yeah, yeah. it's all right. It was still there when Manuel Maybe. got back. Um, yeah. Maybe upgraded the goats. No, Maybe. Say. Maybe they've got... Special hats now. Oh, little feathers in. Oh, that's where it comes from. Yes. His feather hat. Yes. He put the feathers in the goat hats. Yes. Yes. Genuine goat feathers in his crown. <laughs> yeah. So, it was a busy year for John. Not only was he ruling the city, but he is now married, Jamie. Hooray. Oh, congratulations How nice. to him. To 11-year-old Russian princess Anna of Moscow. No, no, no. Yeah, not not good. He's 22, she's 11. Obviously, marriage of mm. political alliance and convenience there. Shortly after this, Mustafa, the last of Bayezid's sons to claim the sultanship, was captured and put in prison in Constantinople. So the family now have a card in their back pocket that they can use. But it's ups and downs for John at this time, because shortly after this, Anna of Moscow dies. His wife. Oh. Yeah. That's sad. Plague is wafting through the city once again. 
this time mm-hmm. against Anna, you're seeing a lot of young children dying in this wave of plague that's yeah. around at the moment. That's it's two of the royal family and now Princess Anna. It's obviously not going to be a cheerful time. No, but I wonder if that's always been the case, it just wasn't recorded because children aren't important. Uh, well, if it was, um, I mean, we have had examples of children in the royal family dying before, but yeah. it's, I can't remember off the top of my head a time where there are three in such quick succession. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can only imagine that uh, things are a bit depressing in the royal household. Anyway, yeah. a few years pass and we don't hear anything of John, uh, but then he gets married again. Hooray! Hey, due to various political <laughs> well, due to various political manoeuvrings, the Pope had declared that it would be okay for the Empire's royal family to marry some Catholic women. Oh, really? Yeah, that's nice. More yes. people to choose from. And the Pope had yeah. actually had someone in mind. Um, he had a couple of women uh, he was thinking about, and uh, they could get married to John and Theodore. So oh. John's going to get married again, and so's his brother. Uh, so who is John going to marry? Good news, it's not a child this time. Oh, splendid. Always good. Uh, yeah. Sophia of Montferrat. This was the granddaughter of a French king, and they were married at the same time he was to be crowned co-emperor. So a happy day all round. That's good. Uh, but it's not a happy marriage, Jamie. I, d- I don't think most of them were. but No, this one's particularly no. not good, though. Oh. Um, in fact, I'll quote. He, meaning Manuel here, brought him... John, as wife, from Italy, the daughter of the ruler of Montferrat. She was pleasant in manner, but not attractive in face. (laughs) Crowned with a diadem, he was made high priest and king over all Greeks. As for her, as he did not live with her, he became hostile and disagreeable to her. That's one source. Another source Mm. says, Emperor John, however, was not pleased with his wife. The young woman was extremely well-proportioned in body. Her neck was shapely, her hair blondish, with braids flowing down to her ankles like glimmering golden streams. But her face and lips, the condition of her nose and the arrangement of her eyes and eyebrows were extremely unpleasant. When Emperor John saw how she looked, therefore, he had no sexual relations with her, nor did he even sleep with her. Consequently, oh. she lived alone in one of the apartments of the palace. Oh, that's sad. It's really sad, isn't it? Poor Sophia was just shunned immediately um, because she wasn't a looker. Yeah. This is like uh, the Henry VIII and uh, yes. the Cleese thing, isn't it? Very much reminded of that. Oh, repulsive, burning with fire. I'm standing here. Yeah, it's it's just a really sad tale. Of, it, but, that is. Yeah, yeah poor, poor Sophia spent her time in a wing of the palace, not having anything to do with the rest of the family. She eventually flees back to France, and the Romans just kind of pretend that wedding never happened. What just, wedding? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll leave poor, poor Sophia running back yeah. to France, weeping probably, and we will stay mm. with her devoted and loving husband, John, shall we? Because John yeah. has other things on his mind. Because being crowned co-emperor may have been ceremonial. He weren't, in this day and age, actually co-emperor, you were heir. But actually, mm. in this case, 
being co-emperor meant more than being heir because his father, Manuel, is now 71 and he is starting to Ooh. decline. Yes. So uh, John has many supporters by this time. He's in his early 30s and he starts to disagree with his father's policies. I think we should know. No, my turn okay. now, Dad. You're just too cool. Go and strum your guitar <laughs> in the corner. I want to go. See, si, monsieur. <laughs> yes, my son. Stop talking like that. Why don't I have that voice? So, John and those around him were worried that the Ottomans were becoming more settled under Mehmet and could well end up going back to dominating the Romans. There was rumour in the air that Mehmed was actually planning a siege of the capital. So unless they do something about him soon, this could go back to the days of when he was a child and the Ottomans utterly dominated everything. Now, John had seen how successful his father's earlier policies were of keeping the Ottomans in fighting. It had worked, and he wanted to Mm. carry on this policy. Uh, Manuel, however, had mellowed somewhat in his age and got on with Mehmet and said, no, we're, we're just going to stick to our agreement of peace. We're not going to stir the pot up with the Ottomans. John, however, didn't agree, and as he was now co-emperor and was only 30, he was able to start Mm. working around his father. So what's he going to do? First of all, he needs a way to unsettle Mehmet. And an opportunity came when Mehmet was passing through Constantinople. John went to his father and suggested, maybe, just maybe, we use this opportunity to show the Sultan our displeasure. To make the problem disappear. Yes, exactly. To take a brick and bludgeon him to death? (laughs) Yeah, uh, Manuel was not impressed with this. The pact between them was working, so no, son, you're not allowed to do that. The plan was put to one side. However, as we saw, Mehmed died shortly after this. Now, we have no way of knowing if John figured out a way to kill the Sultan as he passed through the capital. Uh, Brick to the head. (laughs) <laughs> just one of those delayed brick to the head killings like yeah. bludgeoned him and then several days later Mehmet just goes ow and falls over yeah um <laughs> no well Mehmed was in the capital he dined with the emperor uh with manuel we know that much presumably john was there as well uh so there is a chance that some poison was slipped to him at the time. <laughs> Eat this apple. <laughs> <laughs> the poisoned apple. <laughs> that, but with a slight whistling noise. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's how it went down. Uh, but it's not as if Mehmed didn't have other enemies, and who knows, maybe he just died of natural causes. Yeah. Or maybe it genuinely sign. was a hunting accident, as one of the sources claim. So we don't know. All we know... <laughs> Why are we using bricks today instead of arrows? I don't understand. <laughs> So I'm just imagining someone going up to Mehmed with a selection of bricks to use. <laughs> Which brick would you like, sir? This one has a more of a rounded corner. Yes. <laughs> well, Mehmed's dead. That's all we need to know. Uh, he's dead. He's no more. He's an ex-sultan. Uh, and the empire needs to respond. Uh, John's father was all for recognising Morad II, the 16-year-old son of Mehmed, as the next sultan. John, however disagreed with his father yet again. He wants the Ottomans to keep fighting each other. And, if you remember, they have that son of Bayezid in a cell. Yes. Now, we don't get details, but it would appear that John's faction was now stronger than his father's faction. And this time, he gets his way. Apparently, John personally led Mustafa out of Constantinople and down to Gallipoli, where 
Mustafa was going to launch his campaign. And as we covered in Manuel's episode, this does not go well. The idea was for Mustafa to take Gallipoli and then hand it over to the Romans. Uh, Mustafa took Gallipoli, but kept it for himself. And then went and got himself killed immediately. The Empire got nothing from this, uh, apart from a very, very angry 16-year-old Morat too. He's yeah, yeah. utterly furious and ordered Constantinople to be razed to the ground and all its citizens sold to slavery. This was, let's wipe it off the map kind of time. So the siege began, and as covered, this was a serious one. But it was lifted, remember, when Manuel wrote to several people in the Ottoman court and managed to stir up some trouble. Uh, however, I missed an important nut part out last week uh, because it was more strongly linked to John. So I didn't include it. Because after two and a half months of the siege, John led a force out of the walls of the city. Oh. So this is John leading troops. You might want to make a note of that. He'll be able to actually get some points. We get very few details, but John wins. Hooray. Oh. Yeah, and managed to push the Ottomans back. Now, it wasn't enough to lift the siege, but it was enough to convince Morad that the Romans were strong enough to defend themselves. And when Manuel's letter started to cause trouble internally in the Ottoman Empire, Morad decided to lift the siege. So, um, yeah, we gave... So a combination of both. Yeah, we gave Manuel credit for um, his political manoeuvring to lift the siege. I think we need to give John credit for his militarily yeah. uh, pushing back and getting the siege lifted. So well done, John, there. He's led some troops... Uh, And it's shortly after this that John's father has his stroke and was left paralysed and unable to speak. So John took over ruling even more so. He is now essentially the sole ruler. Uh, Morad too soon sorted out the internal problems and decided to take out some good old-fashioned revenge on the rest of the empire. He decided not to go back to Constantinople. It's like, let's go and yeah. teach the rest of the Romans who's boss, and then I'll come and siege the <laughs> so capital. Let's go to Moria then. Uh, well, yeah, essentially. John realised he needed help urgently, so again, he looked to his father for an example. You really get the impression that John admired his father a lot uh, and really wanted to just lead like his father did, despite mm. their disagreements towards the end. His father travelled west for aid. He went on his tour, didn't mm. he? He went to Paris, he went to yes. London. So... That's what he would do as well, thought John. So in 1423, he sets off. He chooses one of his younger brothers to just look after the place while he's gone. So have a look at your list. Who's still alive? Andronicus, Demetrius, Thomas, Theodore. And And Constantine. Yeah. Which one does he leave behind in charge? Constantine. Yes, it is Constantine. Even though he's not the oldest, he leaves Constantine in charge, which gives you an impression that maybe Constantine was his favourite brother. Maybe Constantine just had a bit more about him than his brothers did. Uh, But it is interesting that it's not the second oldest brother who was left in charge, but the fourth oldest brother. So, but yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that more in Constantine's episode, uh, because we're going to follow John, but we get far fewer details on his tour than Manuel's. Uh, It was very similar, however. He was soon in Italy. He visited Venice and Milan and Mantua, uh, just like his father did. Uh, However, this is where it changes. Rather than going up to France, to Paris, he decided to visit one of the most prominent kings of the age, and that is the King of Hungary, future Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund, the kind of man that you Mm. wouldn't just brush over in an episode. So, 
No, definitely not. Yeah, so he goes off to Hungary instead of up to France. And John used and built upon the contacts that his father had made during his visit and basically does the same as his father, asks for help. And the tour gained about the same results as his father's tour did. Uh, Yeah, if anything, it was even worse because his father made a splash. People were impressed with him. There was something about Manuel that people, they saw him and, wow... He's called cool. A certain Jeanne César. You could say that. So they made promises. I mean, they didn't keep their promises, but they made promises. However, John got even less than empty promises. Most in Western Europe by this time were starting to accept the fact that maybe the fall of the empire is just inevitable. I mean, look at it. It's pathetic. It's clinging on. Yeah. So John returns to the capital empty-handed, and things look very bleak back home. A peace treaty was created with Morad, but... It was not a good one. This peace treaty meant that the annual tribute was back, and the land Ah. given them by Suleiman was now back in Ottoman hands. So, just to be clear, the empire now is Constantinople and its surrounding land. As in a few farms. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Uh, The city of Thessalonica is still in Roman hands. That is the one thing that didn't go back. So they still got Thessalonica and Moria, of course, which you mentioned. Uh, But yes, Thessalonica's still in the Empire. Um, Well, actually, no, sorry, it's it's just gone, Jamie. It's gone. Oh, oh. Yeah. That was fast. That was fast. The Ottomans don't have it, though. Oh, Hungarians. Uh, No, John's brother, Andronicus, who was in charge of Thessalonica at this time, uh, had just sold it to the Venetians. Oh. Yes. Now, the city had been under siege by Morad for a couple of years, and it was about to fall. As we've come across a lot, Thessalonica was a tough nut to crack, and Mm. uh, it was hard to get into, but they really felt like it was about to fall. So it was decided that selling it to Venice was better than letting the Ottomans have it. Let the Venetians come in and protect the place, and at least the Ottomans won't come in and take the Empire's second city. And they can install the canals later on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Now, uh, they didn't sell it for any money, as far as we can tell. It was pretty much just a, hey, Venetians, do you want a city for free? And the Venetians went, um, what's the catch? (laughs) This is suspicious. Which city? Uh, Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Um, For free, you say? No no catch? Well, the Ottomans have been sieging it for the last two years and are about to take it. Oh, I see. Uh, but they decide to go for it. Why not? Free city. Don't never turn yeah. down a free city, as they say. No. So there we go. Thessalonica's gone. And uh, then Manuel too dies. I mean, he's been out of action for a couple of years from his stroke, yeah. but he is now dead, leaving John VIII sole emperor and fully in charge of figuring out how the hell to save the empire. But before we cover that, let's uh, catch up with the brother list, shall we? So remember, we had eight brothers, but two died early, so we are left with John, Theodore, Andronicus, Constantine, Demetrius, and Thomas, yeah? Yep. Good. Right. John is the eldest. He is now 30. Right. He is obviously emperor, and he's in Constantinople. So pop a C next to his name, just so you know where he is. Done. Now, the second son is Theodore. Yeah. And Theodore has the second most prestigious position, which is the despot of Moria. He's in charge of Moria. Mm. Excellent. Third son, Andronicus, had been in charge of Thessalonica, but as we've just covered, Thessalonica's gone now, so where do you think he goes? Constantinople? No, he goes to Moria. Moria. Yes. Remember, Constantinople is looking a bit ragged around the edges now. A bit 
bit threadbare, yeah. a bit tatty. Yeah. Uh, Moria seems like the nicer option, so he goes to Moria. Fourth son, this is Constantine. He's got some of that land near the capital. That, that's farms. it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he's, he's got a little bit north capital going into the Black Sea. Uh, he's pretty much allowed to be there by Morad. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much nothing at all. Uh, he's fourth son, that's why. Uh, now, as covered, he's already seen as favourite of John, and he's been regent, um, but guess where he lives? Moria. Moria. Let's put an M next to his name. Right, we're on to the fifth son, Demetrios, now. Demetrius has nothing. There's nothing left for the fifth son. Yeah. The empire's just not large enough to support such a big royal family. Uh, now, interestingly, he was in the capital city, however. Yeah. Sixth son, Thomas, also has nothing. But he's living in, guess what? It's Moria oh, again. Yeah. Yes. As you can see, Moria is fast becoming the centre of the empire. It's Yeah. It was agricultural in its economy. It has a few small cities, and they are small cities. This is nothing like Constantinople at all. But it was relatively peaceful compared to the falling apart, declining capital city. The Ottomans had raided the area a few years before, but if you were a citizen of the Roman Empire right now and you had to choose where to live, this is probably where you're going to choose. The capital of the region was Mistra. This is a stone's throw away from the old Sparta. Practically see the well that they used to kick Persians down with their <laughs> Scottish accents. And Mistra was starting to flourish. Artists mm. and philosophers and the like of the empire were starting to head there and leave Constantinople. This oh was starting to become, obviously not officially, and the actual emperor's not there, but this is kind of starting to become the capital city of the empire. It's definitely on the up rather than declining, which is it's what you want to be. Uh, but Moria was not immune to the ever-continuing collapsing state of the empire. About a year after John becoming sole emperor, Moria was invaded, but not by the Ottomans but instead by Carlo Tocco. This was a ruler of a small Latin state in Epirus and Cephalonia, which is on the left side of Greece okay. and up a bit from where Moria is. John led forces personally into Moria to defend the land. So we've got John fighting again. Uh, and Yeah. And Carlo Tocco loses a sea battle. It's a naval battle, Jamie. Wow. Yeah, we don't get many of them, do we? No, hardly ever happens. Yeah, so, mm. yeah. And, and the Empire win it. That's even yeah. rarer. Yeah. So, <laughs> there we go. Uh, John has defeated Carlo Tocco. He has defended the area. Carlo was forced to give up his claim on any of the land in Moria, and his niece was wedded to John's brother, Constantine. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, job done, thinks John, and he heads back to the capital. But Moria was not yet at peace. With Constantine, Theodore, and Thomas all in Moria, they start to expand. And soon most of the mainland of the Peloponnese was in the empire. The, the empire's getting bigger. It's, we're still talking about the tip of Greece here, so yeah. it's not getting bigger in a big way, but it is expanding. But they soon ran out of land in that little tip at the bottom, and the three brothers start to butt against each other. But this is more Constantine's story, so for now, just know that a bunch of John's brothers have started to fight each other in the only scrap of land that they've got left. Oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, back to John. He's married again. Hooray. Hey. Like I say, they just ignored the last wedding. That didn't happen. Uh, this time, 
he is married to Maria of Trebizond. Oh, I can you imagine uh, how nervous he was during the ceremony? <laughs> well, this time, apparently, it was actually a happy marriage, as far as we could tell, or at least compared to the last two. John and Maria apparently often went hunting together. Um, oh. So that that is what I'm basing the fact that it was a happy marriage on. That's about all Unless we've got. Unless he used her as... The, you know, oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. Run. Let, let's hope. Let's hope not. Evidence that it wasn't a happy marriage. Uh, the two of them never have any children, but that is flimsy evidence. It's evidence yeah. that have been, has been used before because there are many reasons why people don't have children. So who knows? Let, let, yeah. Let's just say, because it's depressing otherwise, let's say it was a happy marriage. Much much better yeah. than the last yeah, one. That's a, yeah, yes. it was loving, it was caring. It was. They supported each other every day and night. Yeah. John realised the error of his ways of being so shallow last time and yeah. has grown as a person. Let's say that, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, John was preoccupied shortly after this wedding uh, because... The Ottomans have finally managed to take Thessalonica. The Venetians were not able to hold them back. The city does fall. Uh, Thessalonica, as the empire's second city for centuries, was now the jewel in the Ottoman emperor's crown. Only Constantinople would better show the world that the Ottoman Empire was now in Europe to stay. So mm. once, once they've got Thessalonica, there's only one thing left to get. Constantinople. Yeah. So that's worrying. And under Morad too, the Ottomans were going from strength to strength. Uh, John hoped that the fall of Thessalonica would wake up the West to the urgency of the situation. And to be fair, he does have one card up his sleeve here. This is a card that his father utterly refused to use throughout his whole life. But his grandfather had used it. Because in 1430, John wrote to Pope Martin and suggested that the Eastern and Western churches be reunified. Haven't they been suggesting this for hundreds of years now? Yes. It's never cool. worked, has it? No. Novel no. idea. Well done, Pope Martin. Great. Great, great thinking. Yes. Yes. He's gone crazy. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> your your holiness. Well, Martin was interested uh, in this because it was it was John's yeah. suggestion to begin with. Um, but then, as quite often happens when you're dealing with popes, uh, the pope died. <laughs> they, they do that a lot to popes. The trouble when you yeah. elect someone into office when they're already really old, continuously. Yeah. yeah. So Pope Martin dies, and unfortunately for John, the Western Church was going through some problems at the time. Now, I'm not going to get into this. That's a job for Pontifax. Have fun there, um, because it gets a bit messy. But to put it simply, there's the new Pope, Pope Eugene IV, and then there was a faction who thought that the Pope was too powerful. Let's just call them the Council just to keep it nice and simple. And that way we don't have to go into detail about them or why there's a faction. <laughs> that is not our story, okay? Just but Just a know, wonderfully ambiguous name. Yes, it is just the council, and they are not happy with the Pope right now. That's all you need to know. To be fair, it's probably about as much as John knew at the time, so we'll say that. Anyway, the council were sympathetic to the Eastern Orthodox Church. It always seemed like the Pope was bossing everyone around, and if the East and West were to mend the schism, it should be a joining of equals, said the council. I mean, not actually equals. I mean, they're still Eastern Romans, and they're all a bit weird, yeah. don't you know? Uh, but yeah. hey, if we say this, it'll really annoy the Pope, so let's say it nice and loud. So <laughs> that, that's the, the council's thinking. So the council invited John, but not just John, also the patriarch to send envoys to a meeting to discuss the unification of the church. 
Uh, this was in Be- Basel in modern Switzerland. That's where the council were, were based. Oh. So they, they sent a message to, to John saying, no, no, it's, it's us. It's not the Pope you want to talk to. It's us, the council. After all, we have support from Sigismund, the most powerful monarch in Europe, and all the other kings in, in Europe uh, behind us as well, honest. Uh, Pope, uh, he's got no friends and he smells. So don't talk to him, talk to us. So John and the Patriarch look at this and go, okay, well, let's send some delegates to them, shall we? By this time, the Pope had got wind of what was going on and sent his own invite to John and the Patriarch, going, no, 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 supremacy of the Pope, see of Rome, I'm, I'm in charge of the Western Church, not the Council. The Council, they're a bunch of idiot rebels and they smell. Don't talk to them. Um, so hmm. for the next three years... Three years, Jamie. There was debate not about the joining of the two churches, but who the East should be dealing with whilst discussing the unification of the two churches. <sighs> yeah, just let the irony sink in that the reason why the two churches couldn't unify is that one of those churches had split. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. But this led to the Eastern Church being in a position of power for the first time in a very long time. Yeah. Yes. They must have been so smug. Oh, they they just kept getting visitors and and yeah. compliments. And no, come and join us. Come and join us. No, come and join me. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, eventually the Pope announced that the only way to solve this was to have an ecumenical council of equals in Italy. That's right. Ooh. The emperor and the patriarch would be personally invited, both at the same Ooh. time. They will come to Italy... And it won't be in Rome, so it won't be like, all oh, the Pope's the best. But come to Italy, and we will we'll have a big old chin wag, we will. And we'll, we'll really thrash out the ideas, and we'll get, this, we'll get this church good and unified. How about it? Nice. Yeah. Now, the council weren't happy about this, but long story short, they had lost. The Pope mm. sent ships to pick up John and the Patriarch. The council turns into a, a rump council and eventually their power disappears. Yeah. Morad too, meanwhile, by the way, he's not happy. What's, what's this you're up to, he says to John. What, what, what's this I hear about you going to Italy? Oh, uh, nothing, just, just a religious thing. It's nothing to do with politics. Huh, not, not trying anything. It's just <laughs> happened, really. It's just, just yeah, boring yeah, yeah. religious stuff. It's just yeah. no, <laughs> nothing at all. No, <laughs> Bye! And he jumps on his boat. <laughs> Engine kicks in and it's just zzzz, goes off. <laughs> Morad too is just left in the east, looking slightly confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1447, the leader of the Romans and the head of the Orthodox Church set sail for Italy, heading for Ferrara. Ferrara. They passed through Milan first. They were treated very well in Milan, uh, probably remembering his father and how cool he was. And, he was uh, so cool. Yeah, and John stayed there for a few weeks, but then sets off again, and he arrives in Ferrara in March. And it was pouring with rain when he arrived, which really put a dampener on things. He was expecting cheering crowds and lots of pomp and ceremony, and it was just wet. We we were ten years away for Henry the Seventh being born. <laughs> yeah, it's uh... he was born in fourteen fifty seven. Just saying. Yeah, it's uh, what we should do at some point in the next episode, the last episode, is figure out who who is alive, who's famous. Yeah. Yeah, we're not <laughs> far from Da Vinci being born, I know that much. 
Yeah, and um, Dracula. Oh, really? Really? A bit further away from Dracula, but yeah, close. This is very cool. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Remind me, and we'll have a oh look who's nearly alive thing at some point yeah. in the next episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that's probably what everyone was doing in Ferrara on that wet Sunday afternoon that the Emperor turned up. Rather than celebrating, they were all just inside their houses, staying dry, playing Guess Who's Nearly Alive. Yeah. Anyway, he meets with the Pope and was set up in some grand lodgings. Uh, but then there was a problem because, obviously, they know how to put on a show back then. And the Emperor and yeah. the Patriarch didn't arrive at the same time. Uh, that's silly. Why, why have one celebration of someone's arrival when you can have two? So the Patriarch had deliberately st- stayed back and was planning to arrive two days later. So there could be another celebration jousting competition you mean that's all they did back then oh yes definitely all jousting but there's a problem because it has been decided that the patriarch obviously just as everyone else would enter the city meet the pope bow down and kiss the pope's foot yeah i mean this is just what everyone does because no one's no one's above god and the pope is god's voice on earth so yeah. So, every, like, that's fine for John VIII to do that. Yes, he's the Emperor of the Romans, but this is a problem because the Patriarch, in the East's mind, is just as important as the Pope. They are equals. I mean, not really equals. The Pope's an idiot and the Patriarch's actually secretly better. We all know this. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, they're equals. Whereas the West view was entirely opposite. It's like. Patriarch of what exactly? <laughs> well, your little city. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so, so impressive. So, uh, yeah, little bit of friction here. Um, the Patriarch refused to step foot in the city. No, I'm not kissing the foot of the Pope. Now, fortunately, everyone all around, the Pope was able to get over himself and allowed the Patriarch to miss this bit out. So, Patriarch does enter the city. Everything can start to to go ahead. And after a few more weeks waiting for everyone to arrive, the council begins. Fascinating stuff, but I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail because, again, it's not really part of our story. But they talk about the Trinity, hot topic in the West at the moment. They talk about the primacy of the Sea of Rome, obviously something that the East is just going to have to accept. They talk about purgatory. The Western Church... Yes, all for purgatory. Eastern Church, no, no, what are you talking about, purgatory? Uh, Things like that. Generally, they start poking at all the differences between the Eastern and Western Church and try to see where they can compromise and reconcile. Now, a major problem is one that we've seen before when it came to, to these style of meetings, because the most knowledgeable theologians on either side spoke Latin or Greek. And the two languages are just that. They are two separate languages. And yeah. words in different languages are not completely synonymous and when the debate came down to semantics a lot which it did it proved almost impossible so there's a lot of debate over how things are worded still everyone's getting good and deep into their debates there's lots of pointing of fingers and stamping of feet Uh, and then plague sweeps through the city yay everyone dies the world ends the end no um it's it's fine (laughs) it's fine because these people are rich so they can just move. Oh, Population of Ferrara, they are screwed. They're all going to die. Uh, <laughs> but the council, they're going to move. They've got an option. Where should we go? I know, says the Pope. Let's go to Florence. Renaissance Ooh. Florence. I hear it's nice there. Yes. He says. Yes. 
And even better, we won't have to pay for it because the Medici family have agreed to pay for us to be there. The Medici family? Oh, yes, we're at that point, Jamie. This is how far through history we've got. We now have the Medici family getting involved. And they said, of course, come to Florence and we will pay for you all to be here and live like kings. You are kings. Um, Yeah. And everyone went, oh, that's great. That's really, really kind of you, Medici family. Any, Any stipulations on this? Any conditions? Oh, yes, yes, we will have to pay you a lot of money back in the future. Right, okay. And now and now the Pope owes you one, and this is actually you just gathering power to yourselves yeah. on your way to becoming the most powerful family in Italy. I see, got you. But still, off to Florence they go. Once set up in Florence, they all got there, they all opened their bags and got all their notes out from the meetings, and someone checked to see what progress they'd made over the last several months. So, let's read out what we've all agreed on so far. Uh, I can only assume a clerk stood up and cleared his throat and said, well, it's all agreed from everyone that the Holy Spirit is a thing. And then he shut the book and sat down. (laughs) Right, okay. We've not made a lot of progress then, have we? No. No, not really. Uh, The council had become stuck debating the the Trinity because they were debating whether the Spirit came through the Son or from the Son. But still the same thing. (laughs) Either way, it's coming from him. Even if it goes through him, it's going from him. Well, don't forget, we are talking about this in English. Oh, yeah. They were debating this in Latin and Greek. Yeah. Words are not synonymous. Oh, That said, believe me, there were people at the time saying exactly what you're saying just now. (laughs) There there is evidence of people going, my God, this is silly, isn't it? I can't believe that it's come down to debating over such a small detail. There was a lot of people getting frustrated at it being such a a small thing that was holding everyone up. I can only assume that a lot of people were being rugby tackled to the ground a lot as soon as they started mentioning the Holy Ghost. Anyway, you'll be pleased to know it took a year in Florence, but it was finally decided that through the sun was fine. Oh, okay. Because it means the same thing! (laughs) Clerk stood up again and ceremoniously wrote a second thing that they now all agree on. (laughs) And took great effort in that full stop. (laughs) We're making lots of progress. Um, yeah. It it appears that it was actually, and you'll be shocked to learn this, uh, more political than theological, the reason why they were debating such a small thing for so long. Neither church wanted to be the one that backed down. The West thought themselves as the obvious leader of the two churches. They were the more powerful. And we are allowing you to come back into the one true church, is how they pretty much saw it. The East saw it as two equal churches being unified and deep in their hearts they also realise that they are the smaller weaker of the churches and they just didn't want to be bullied. So a lot of people didn't care whether it was through or for the sun but they were politically on a bound to not back down. So yeah eventually more arguments were had a huge period of time dedicated to whether the bread that they used in the services the whole body of Christ thing um can that be leavened bread or or not? Uh, do we want a nice bloomer or does it need to be flatbread? Uh, these, uh. This obviously is... <laughs> yeah, you just hear lots of groans and uh. someone rugby tackles that guy to the ground, but it's too late. He said it now. Yeah. Stood up and said, about the bread. No, stop him. Stop. Oh, God. Damn it. 
But eventually, Jamie, you'll be pleased to know, <laughs> eventually, after months and months of debate over these things, the Articles of a Union were drawn up. Yeah. Now, the Patriarch from Constantinople had died during these meetings. That's how boring they became. But he had seen enough of the Articles to give it his blessing on his deathbed. It's like, yeah, finish that off, I agree with it. So the Patriarch gave his blessing. The Pope yeah. gave his blessing. He agreed with it. And then so did all the bishops and all the other important people, including Emperor John VIII. There was one bishop from the East who refused to sign it, though. This was Mark Eugenicos. He just went, no, don't like this. This no. We're giving too much power to the Western Church, and they're a bunch of heathens. So, uh, no, I refuse to sign. But he was all alone. He was just the, the one dissenting voice. Everyone else was happy, and huge celebrations would be had. They were finally allowed to leave that room. It was fantastic. <laughs> Been in here for 14 years. Well, uh, a good couple of years is how long they, they spent, because it was 1439 that the two churches unify. And that is why, Jamie, you don't get an Eastern Orthodox church anymore. The schism has ended. Ah, so it's completely gone. Yes, completely gone. Um, yeah. Wow. One universal church or something. I mean, I'm assuming that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. probably. Probably. I didn't look into it. But, I mean, it's unified now, so surely it's still unified now. Anyway, job done. One unified church. John takes his time getting home. He goes via Venice once more. He basically enjoys his victory. (laughs) Yes. He he Uh, swaggered all... His horse swaggered all the way back. Yeah, exactly. He's, He's quite happy because... Now that the church was won, that meant that all of the West were honour-bound to defend Constantinople against the Ottomans. So, I mean, the Turks were scary, but surely now, with the might of a unified West behind them, Mm. they'd be able to push the the Turks back. Surely. Yeah? Excellent. So, John's quite happy about this. And he arrives home about a year later, but it is not a happy return, because he found out once he entered the city that his wife had died three weeks earlier. No, his lo- yeah. lovely wife, who he his loved. lovely and wife, loved each yeah. Other and... Most likely plague again. There's a lot of it going around. Yeah. Not the only thing troubling John, however, because he had noticed, like, once he'd arrived home at the city, that there wasn't much bunting up. <laughs> and the, the streets were conspicuous with their lack of cheering crowds. Um, in fact, you could argue that the reception that he'd received was somewhat icy, just lots of... Oh. Oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Lots of poor Hi. people just staring at him and, like, slamming a, a closed fist into an open hand over <laughs> and over again as he walked past. One, one or two people stroking their fingers across their neck. <laughs> yeah, that kind of... at him on his horse, yeah. Yeah, he just, just got a feeling that the, the city weren't mm. happy with him. Yeah. So he... he does a bit of research. He tries to figure out what's the problem. It would appear that he and almost all who had gone with him to the West had been caught up in a kind of bubble of optimism for the Union that simply did not exist back home. In fact, the only person who got a good reception was Mark Eugenikos, who went from being the sole dissenting voice to man of the people, saviour of our religion. He's the only person who tried to save our church. The rest are traitors. So that's not good. To make matters worse, John needs to find a new patriarch. 
because the Patriarch died in Italy. I mean, that doesn't oh. look good, does it? John that took the leader good. of the church to Italy. He dies, yeah. and then John comes back and says, right, we're all Catholic now. And, and it wasn't my fault. All he did was eat a poison apple. <laughs> <laughs> whistle, whistle. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I need a new patriarch, he said. Uh, anyone? Anyone want to be patriarch? Is this where Mark offers his services? Uh, no, no, because oh. he needs someone who is pro-union to be patriarch. Uh. Not many people want to do this, because no. pretty much everyone who hadn't gone west hated the idea, and those that did go west with the emperor... Uh, now they're looking around and thinking about it, turns out it's not that popular, so... Hmm. No. Do I want to be the I person in charge of this? Yeah. Eventually he did manage to find someone. I'm guessing all the bishops Jeff. took a step back one day and Jeff was just stood in the middle of the room. You yeah. there! Huh? You can be patriarch. Are you pro-union? Uh, yeah? <laughs> You'll do. So... I just feed the goats at the Sarge Sophia. I don't know what's going on. God, don't let Jeff feed the goats. <laughs> That dome will be down before lunchtime. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, J- Jeff the goat feeder is promoted to become become patriarch. I can only assume. That's quite advancement in career, isn't it? Yes. Anyway, uh, he finds a new patriarch, uh, but this new patriarch is going to struggle to get anything done since most of the bishops don't like the idea and the population hate it. In fact, many of the bishops left the capital completely, complaining loudly about the way things were going nowadays. And John was not politically powerful enough to stop his bishops going around denouncing the unification. And soon enough, word reached Rome. The Pope, at this time, was trying to raise a fleet to help Constantinople. But he heard that the emperor actually wasn't being 100% active, shall we say, at shutting down dissent. So the Pope decided that he, perhaps, wouldn't be exactly 100% active in raising a fleet. Ooh, yeah. that's, that's petty. That's petty. Yeah. What a uh, petty little Pope he is. Pope <laughs> Petty the First is what they called him. Only the first. Well, okay. Pope <laughs> Petty the 19th or whatever. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Mark Eugenikos, he was becoming more and more popular, uh, and he started causing lots of disruption and dissent at home. John was finding it hard to keep... Uh, a lid on dissent in his city. Still, it was worth it, he kept telling himself over and over again, usually at three o'clock in the morning, uh, because (laughs) they've got Western support. As soon as as the Western troops arrive, it will all be worth it. We needed to do it to get rid of the Ottomans. And it took longer than expected, but by 1444, there was indeed a fleet ready to help the Romans out, and a land army coming down the Danube, made up of Hungarians and Serbians. Excellent. And... This actually seemed like a good time to go on the offensive because the Ottomans were dealing with an internal revolt that I'm not going to bother covering. Uh, and John's brother Constantine had rebuilt his father's wall that cut Moria off from the rest of Greece. So hmm. Moria is now better defended than ever. And get this, Constantine's taken Athens. So Expansion? Yeah, Athens is now in the empire. Wow. Yeah, that's good. And Athens is like a real city. It's like, that's yeah. from the history books and everything. It's got a building piled up by sticks and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's heard of Athens. That's, that's one you want in yeah. your collection, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We, we now, in our empire, have Constantinople and Athens. That sounds impressive. Yeah. Until you realise you pretty much only have Constantinople and Athens. But, eh. yeah. Yeah. but still, that's oh, two good. cities. However, slight problem. Uh, the 
Western forces that were coming down the Danube got into a bit of fighting with Morad, but then signed a peace treaty with Morad. Yes, a peace treaty that lasted 10 years. Morad signed this peace treaty because he wanted to go and deal with these internal problems. He didn't have time to be fighting in Europe. So he went off to Anatolia, but the Western forces then looked around and went, well, we've come all this way. I know we just signed that piece of paper, but... Should we just carry on anyway? Yeah, let's carry on. Let's get to Constantinople and let's cut through the Ottomans. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Who cares? It's, yeah, we signed a treaty, but uh, that Morad, he's an infidel, isn't he? It doesn't yes. count when you sign treaties with people who aren't the same religion as you. Everyone knows yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So they push forward and they ignore the treaty. Now, this force uh, is certainly not as powerful as the one that was put together uh, when Manuel was in charge. Uh, and when Morad heard that the treaty had been ignored, Morad responded very angrily. He took no chances. He amassed a force that outnumbered the Western forces three to one. Yeah. He met them and utterly wiped them out, riding into battle with the treaty that had been broken pinned upon his standards. How dare Ooh. you ba- break this treaty? So, uh, yeah, he, he just destroys them all. Well... Fair enough. Hmm. And uh, he's he's not amused that he's had to come over to Europe to sort this out. Oh. So he decides to sort out the area once and for all. Oh. Yes. He decides to aim his ire at Moria, rather than the capital. He remembers that siege. Siege in Constantinople is just annoying, isn't it? Mm. Let's go and wipe out Moria and get Athens back, and then... Then we'll deal with the pathetic city that is Constantinople, he thinks. John soon received news, and it was very disturbing. Morad had destroyed the wall that his brothers Constantine and Thomas were defending, the one that his father built to defend Moria. Apparently, Morad had used some new kind of weapon to do it. Some kind of ballistic weapon. (gasps) And the wall didn't stand a chance. Is is it... It was either, one of two, it's either a tactical nuclear missile or it was um, a, a cannon. Was it the cannon? You got it in two. It wasn't It wasn't a nuke at this time. It, it was a cannon, Jamie. We have cannons. We have cannons. We have cannons. Yeah. Not good cannons. And we're talking no, about the not. cannons more in next episode because they come into it more importantly in the next episode. Uh, I, I can also, imagine they do. <laughs> I also need to look into it because um, uh, I saw conflicting reports on whether cannons were actually used in this attack on the walls in Moria, but I definitely saw in a couple of places they were, so I'm going to mention that they were. But yeah, all John would know is that his brothers had managed to escape, but the Roman forces had been slaughtered and the Turkish forces had ripped through Moria, taking around 60,000 prisoners. The region that was slowly growing to become the centre of the empire was dealt a very severe blow. It wasn't quite taken off the map. The Ottomans didn't take over the area, but it's... (laughs) The the little sign that says, Welcome to Moria, is still there. Yeah, Sort of on an angle, though. Yeah, it's spinning around slowly. Yeah, you can tell gravity will just take it at some point soon, and it will just fall over. Yeah, Yeah, so um, just to recap what the Empire looks like at the moment, it is Constantinople, and now an absolutely ravaged Moria. And that is it. Athens? 
No, no, they lost that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always losing things as well, so I get it. And uh, not only that, there's this just nagging thing about this new weapon that Morad's got. That's... Yes. Still, we've got the Constantinople walls. The Theodosian walls are strong. Strong. Really good walls, they are. Big, big walls. Big, strong walls. Fine. We'll, We'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. However, good news... Morad then decided that the Roman Empire, as it was, is now so pathetic, he doesn't actually need to spend any time on them. Uh, Hungary is a far more powerful foe. Tasty prize. <laughs> yeah. So Morad pays attention to Hungary for a while. Uh, another Western force is being put together, so Morad sets off to defeat it, which he does. Meanwhile, in Constantinople, John could do nothing but watch with growing acceptance that help was not coming from the West all the internal divisions caused by unifying the church was for nothing. He carried on trying to gain some support, but it was fruitless as ever. The West has given up on them. No one's coming to help. And then in 1448, John dies of natural causes. Oh. Yeah. Leaving a worn-out city and a ravaged province and no sons to take over and a whole bunch of brothers. Yeah. So that'll be fine. Yeah. And, oh, we are now five years till the fall of the Empire. Oh. And that is John 8, Jamie. Quite a mixed bag. He tried. He tried very hard. He did try. He's not as bad as he you first might think he would be. Yeah. Um, He's just weighing over his head now. They uh, are. Yeah. Let's rate him, shall we? Fightiest Maximus. He does actually get some here. Yeah? At first glance, you'd think you'd be getting nothing. Uh, But, if you remember, he rode out at the head of some troops to fight Morad whilst Constantinople was being sieged. Yeah. So, that's good. And not only that, he won. Yeah, and he's a good chance he's probably the last ever emperor to do that, right? (laughs) Possibly. Not going to ruin anything for next episode. Yeah, uh, he he defeated the Ottomans, and that is part of why the siege was lifted. So he definitely gets points for that. He also led troops uh, in Moria against Carlo and uh, defended the empire there. Whilst he was emperor, the empire expanded militarily. Land they had in Moria uh, soon filled up the whole bottom tip of Greece instead of a section of the bottom tip of Greece. <laughs> I mean, it's not a huge amount, but there you go. I mean, it was his brothers but doing that, but he's emperor. And uh, sea battle. The Romans won a sea battle. That's always impressive. So, yeah, he did some fighting. But that said, it's nothing big. Defending a small strip of land in the southern tip of Greece against just a a local land lord uh, is not hugely impressive. More impressive is beating Morad during the siege. Uh, Yeah. But I don't know, four? Yeah, I was thinking about three or four. I might go for three, so it's an odd number to end on. (laughs) Okay, then. That That gives him seven points. Approbium Crasium. Approbium Crasium. Um, right, well, as we have found with the Paleologos family, they just weren't a crazy bunch, were they? Not really. We've got yet another sane person. Um, he yeah. went against his father a bit. There is a chance that he poisoned the Ottoman sultan. Uh, if not crazy, certainly Approbium. Poor, the poor wife thing, locking, yes, locking he... her away in a room. And then he didn't ignoring. lock her away. She locked herself away and then went back to France. But yes, she was socially ostracised. 
Oh, how about trying to recombine the the, the West and the East yes, Empire? Yes, this is what I was going to say. He did cause a lot of opprobrium in his own empire because <laughs> he annoyed pretty much everyone by bowing to the, the West. So, yes, absolutely right. I'm, I'm going to give him three points for doing that because that, mm, that's a big that. one. Uh, yeah, so that is three so from you as well. That is six for mm. this round. Success Ultima. Ah, success How successful was he? I mean, well, it's not as bad as you think. Isn't it? Uh, he... It's, su- you could argue it had territories before, but he got rid of Thessalonica. Mori's been destroyed. He had Athens. It was gone. He mm. now literally just has the walls that he's protected in. It's the smallest it's ever been. That's not successful. No, um, he's... When I say it's it's better than you might think, um, I just mean it's not necessarily automatically a zero. He might eke out a oh. point. <laughs> That's okay. what I was thinking. Yeah. Because you could argue that he successfully politically got support from the West. Just about. From he, the Pope, you mean? Yeah, he, you, he and other people obviously were involved, um, but he was a major part of ending the schism between the Western and the Eastern churches. Now, you might be wondering, why is there still a Western and Eastern church to this day? Obviously, this doesn't stick. But oh, we're that's... about 40 years before Martin Luther's born as well. Just as oh. <laughs> we are looking at this with hindsight. If the, u- if the church did unify and this, this treaty stuck, then we'd be looking at this as huge. Mm. And we'd be giving him lots of points. And it's hardly his fault that the whole thing falls apart. But essentially, when Constantinople falls, there's just, it just, the whole idea's gone. There's no appetite for it anymore. So the churches don't unify. That's the simple version of it. So yeah, the unification doesn't really work. But he did get, technically, the churches to unify for a while. Yeah, it's a big So does he deserve some points for that? Well, no, because it wasn't successful for his people. <laughs> But he successfully got it. he got uh, forces to come and help defend the empire. They failed though, didn't they? they yeah, they didn't. They, they, would, they didn't successfully defend anything. No, but they he just tried. Pissed off Morad. <laughs> yeah, no, he did do. He successfully annoyed Morad a lot. Yeah, he's very successful at. So does he deserve a point? Is what I'm saying. We're not just bowing down and giving up immediately. How about one point for effort? Yeah, and when I say that, I mean, shall one of us give him one point for effort and the other one give him zero? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, who wants to give him the point? Shall I give it to him? I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not giving him a point. Right, I'll give him one then. You give him zero. Right. One for success as Ultimus. Right, and we've done this round. Mm. Full marks. Yeah, full five. Full five, because... Uh, did you imagine him looking the way he did all the way through? No. Did you forget to do that? Yeah, yeah, I kind of did, actually. Yeah, Yeah. no, I kind of forgot to do it. I think I would have been more favourable to him. I'll listen back it. to this episode, then I'll imagine it. Yeah, okay. Anyway, full marks, because, wow, what an amazing image. Yeah, good luck with that card. <laughs> arguably the best image of all of the series. So how long do you think he lasts? Oh, it's probably about 20-odd years or so. 23 years? Four months and Ooh. ten days. We're going to call it 23 years. Um, a good chunky rain at the end there. Mm. Yeah. Very unusual, dying empire. 
Yes, and he wasn't a puppet. Yes. Yeah, he was genuinely ruling in his own right, and he managed to do it for 23 years. I mean, that that's quite yeah. impressive. Yeah. I feel better about giving him that one for successes now. Yeah. yeah. He kept things ticking over. But what does that for his score? 2.9. Sorry, no, no. We go to two decimal places. You would have thought after 170 episodes I'll have got this. 2.88. Okay. Okay. Do we have a final score? Yes. Excellent. So tempted not to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, I give in. What is it? What is his score? (laughs) Ah, I'm glad you asked. His, his score is 21.88. 21.88. Not bad for second to last no. Emperor, everything's falling apart. If we compare these to the Emperors in the, the, the West ones... Yeah, yeah. This, this is unbelievable. Yeah, they're really not doing as bad as I thought they were going to. But we've got a question. Do they have a certain genesis? Uh, just no. No, there's no reason to give John it, is there? Not even for portrait. I mean, the portrait alone to me. Very good point. Yes, no, there is a reason to give it to him. It's just not good enough. But at least there no. is a reason. Uh, no. Yeah, he has a damn good portrait. Uh, but can you see now why there was that painting of him by a Renaissance painter? Yeah, he was yes. in Florence talking about things. Uh. Yeah, so that's why. Yeah, so I mean, it's good painting, but it's not Genesis worthy on its own. So that is a no. For John 8 and Jamie, Mm. that means there's only one episode left. Wow. Yeah. One biographical episode left. Just just to make it clear, um, yeah, good point to our listeners. We obviously have our our rounds at the end, so there will be more episodes after Constantine. Uh, But also to make it clear... I have almost definitely decided that even if we do choose Holy Roman Emperors for the next season, which we haven't decided upon yet, it will be a new podcast. It won't be season three of the Roman Emperors. It will be no. Totalis Rankium, Holy Roman Emperors. So <laughs> That one letter, that one yeah, word, sorry, makes all the difference. It does. It will have different music and different artwork and everything. Oh. It will not be this podcast. We are no. ending with Constantine Eleven. Yeah. Um, and we will be moving and, on to a new podcast. Yeah. So, and Sound Guys, his contract only, is only, was only for these two anyway. So. Yeah, we're going to have to renegotiate a contract with him if we want him to stick around. Mm. Uh, I mean, he's tied into the American ones still. So we, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Could, we could trick him into saying some other names. Uh, we could pretend <laughs> Charlemagne was actually uh, an American president, maybe. We, we, yeah, anyway, yeah, this is this idea. is an off-air conversation, Jamie. We're talking yeah. about employment rights of uh, Sound Guy, and not everyone needs to hear about this. So, no, no. Uh, so, uh, yeah, one one episode left. Only one. So all that needs to be said today is bad luck, John. Let's hope your brother's better, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. so motivating Gregory that was a, such a good speech wasn't it I brought a tear to my eye I, I feel I feel pepped up I do me too pepped ready ready to defend the empire yeah
Yeah, he's oh Sarge, he's good, isn't he? At giving these uh, these speeches. That bit where your your soldiers of the Roman Empire that has stood for what? What did he say? Stood for a thousand and a half years. Yeah, I think he said a thousand and a half. Yeah, it was. It, was, it brought a yeah, tear to my eye. Did own. did wonder? Did he did he mean a thousand years and half of one year or one and a half thousand years? I don't quite know, but I think the main point he's trying to make, he'd been here for a long time. He has been. It's, I, and that bit where he said, and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Oh. And and then where he said, oh, the bit where he said, here's to another thousand and a half more. And oh, oh you're cheered. Oh, it's oh, so good. And, and he said, yeah. Noth- nothing will break down this wall. Well, it's, oh, it's a good wall, isn't it? Look at this. This, this bad boy. Absolutely solid. They're, I mean, those islands, they're not coming through. No, I mean, look they at are it. not coming this, this through. This wall's at least, I don't know, I mean, I'm not good at maths, but it's at least 12 fathoms thick, I don't know. Look at it. Yeah, well, exactly. No, nothing going to be able to penetrate this wall. God himself can penetrate yeah. this. No, it's, look, at, look at them out there. Yeah. They're just standing around. They don't know what to do. They just don't know what to do, do they? Look, that one over there, he's firing arrows. They're pinging off. Oi, his friend. <laughs> Ricochet. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah. That one, look, look that one over yeah. there. He's got some kind of, I don't know, barrel or something. I mean, what's that about? I'll probably go for a drink. Oh, look, he's setting fire to it. Look at that. Idiot. <laughs> oh, idiot. Oh, oh, it's sort of, oh, it's on its side. I mean, just what? Oh. It's, you, it's, it's good to laugh about it, isn't it? It is. It's, it is good, good, it's to good to laugh. laugh. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Any plans for the weekend? Oh, yeah. No, I'm getting married. <laughs>